Welcome to another edition of This Week in Digital Trust, 11M's regular conversation about all things tech policy, privacy and cybersecurity. I'm Arj, joining you once again from Awabakal country, and I'm joined again by Jordan. Hey Arj, I'm joining you for a change from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation in Sydney. I'm up for some work stuff. We're going to be catching up tomorrow, looking forward to it, so... Yeah, if I sound a bit different, it's this is what my hotel room sounds like. Oh, very good. Lucky you. Well, it's good to have you in New South Wales. And yeah, looking forward to seeing you tomorrow and for, spend some time over the next couple of days. It'll be good. Yep, yep. Company offsite. Lots of, lots of chats, lots of planning, all of that good stuff. So yeah, looking forward to it. And looking forward to continuing our AI series today. Yeah, our mini-series. Sounds like a TV show, but yeah, part two of our mini-series today. Um, Yeah, last week we introduced the series by sort of noting that this big conversation about AI has kind of honed in and consolidated around some common questions and themes. Um, And so last week we kicked off the series and talked about what AI actually is, like the definition AI and how meaningful it is to call all these technologies AI. And then, you know, to dive in a little bit more around what are the actual harms that people are worried about when it comes to AI. Because again, there's some really good thinking and papers that have sort of started to categorize and put a taxonomy around that. Yeah. And some good lessons out of that discussion, I think, to carry through that are, you know, about being specific about the kinds of technologies we're talking about, you know, that there's There are, on the one hand, some specific characteristics of AI technologies that are kind of general and slightly different to traditional IT, but also lumping, you know, large language models in the same bucket as cancer screening techniques is also unhelpful. So, you know, trying to be a bit more specific, trying to be a bit more rigorous with the language we use and how we think about things. Yeah, and that's a through line because it followed through when we talked about the harms as well as to sort of say, well, let's just not think of it as one big mass of harm and and badness. There's very discrete and different things that we should be worried about. And then each of those things probably requires a different response. And so that brings us to today's episode, part two, which is how should businesses govern their use of AI and how are they kind of thinking about responding to these harms? Um to be clear, that's distinct from what policymakers and governments should do from a regulatory perspective. We're talking about what businesses should do and are doing. But as you'll probably hear through the conversation, there's some, at least some link in there between the government response and the business response. But yeah, it'd be good to see how businesses are responding and to kind of work through that. And I think we'll talk a bit about like what we're seeing now, what the current focuses are and, and how mature Australian in particular businesses are in their dealing with this. We'll also talk about like, I think there's an interesting question about where this stuff fits, you know, how what we do every day is talk about the practical machinery for managing privacy and cybersecurity and stuff within an organization, you know, your audit committees and policies and processes and, you know, this governance stuff. I think there's some really interesting questions to get into around like, what might that look like with this set of technologies, whether it fits into, you know, the same kinds of categories as cyber, privacy, other things, or whether it's something completely new. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, okay, well, so let's get into it. I mean, if it wasn't enough to talk about the harms that we talked about last week that result from AI, just very quickly, we talked a lot about this paper from the UTS Human Technology Institute, the state of AI governance in Australia. And there's some stats in there about the actual problem space. 
which we're responding to. So only one third of Australians say they trust AI systems and only 44% of Australians believe that the benefits of AI outweigh the risks. So just wanted to mention those because even if you're not interested in, you know, responding to the harms, if you're a business and you're looking at AI and you're looking at its potentials, you've got a bit of a branding issue to kind of get through around the level of trust Australians have in AI systems. And so at the very least, that is a motivator to start to govern this stuff better. A lot of the conversation that we hear around AI governance tends to focus, as I said earlier, on regulation and government intervention, but that's for next week. What we're going to be talking about here is very much about what is the corporate governance response and you know the overall sort of framing or discussion seems to be that we need something very bespoke for AI. I mean, the UTS report I just mentioned kind of specifically talks about that these harms, which are not inevitable or unforeseeable, they're not fully addressed or adequately addressed by the current organizational risk management and governance approaches. So that's kind of the the context and the setup for what businesses are doing. Yeah. And it's not just, um, I think our focus is managing harms, but it's also just like businesses achieving their objectives as well. There's this amazing stat from a Gartner report on AI from a couple of years ago, which found that, you know, I think they did a lot of empirical kind of interviews and stuff. And they came up with this headline stat of something like 80% of AI projects fail to deliver their stated goals, which is just like a remarkable. So, you know, not just in terms of like doing harm to people, but just like time and effort and money and focus spent on just like not achieving anything. So there's also a kind of strong just internal motivator for getting this stuff right yeah and i think like that's where sort of that word governance in the broader sense is not just about compliance or harm minimization it's often about things like reliability and you know success rate and making sure this stuff works well for the business as well yeah it it is worth defining that word governance i think like we we use it a lot because it's what we work in, but like it's not a common word outside of corporate worlds. So just to clarify, like corporate governance is really the like set of capabilities that an organization has to make decisions, to see things, perceive things, do things in the world. So that UTS report we keep referring to has a formal definition which is, you know, corporate governance is the framework of rules, relationships, systems, and processes within and by which authority is exercised and controlled in corporations. So it's just the set of policies, processes, ways of either monitoring or making decisions. If you want to do something, if you're worried about something going wrong, how are you going to detect it going wrong? Who's going to make the decision? What are the criteria for the decision about the response? Who are the people involved? All of that is kind of wrapped up in this word governance. It's the way you monitor, the way you make decisions. Yeah, as someone who you know didn't come from a legal or a risk background coming into sort of cyber and privacy, it came from a communications background. I will admit that it was a word that threw me a little bit. It felt a bit kind of corporate jargon. And for a long time, I probably pretended to know what people were talking about when they spoke to me about governance without truly knowing what it was. But for me, it was just a sense of, you know, really getting an appreciation that within businesses, when it's done well, there's a sense of kind of 
thoughtfulness and deliberateness about how you're going to manage a risk or how you're going to manage something. It's sort of instead of being kind of ad hoc or let's just hope things work out or let's do things on an inconsistent by the by way. Or rely on people exercising their own good judgment, right? Exactly. Yeah. Leaving it to, to people to exercise their judgment. It's this sense of let's actually be thoughtful and get together and write down what's in and what's out in terms of our expectations and what's allowed. And then let's be very thoughtful and deliberate about police that, monitoring that, making sure we have capabilities and processes that help people stay within those bounds. And then even just things like just awareness, you know, like making people know that there are policies or standards and they understand it. That's all kind of, for me, wrapped up in that sense of deliberateness, which kind of wraps up into governance. Yeah. And so in the privacy context, the things we often talk about are things like policies and standards, directions for staff, um, Systems for monitoring, how will I know if my staff are or are not following the direction? Assurance activities, so actually going and checking, you know, and telling people off or having consequences. Incident response, when something goes wrong. Risk management processes, where's it reported, who does it? I won't go on, but there's a whole set of corporate systems and policies that exist and that are relatively mature in terms of what you expect for privacy. And for cybersecurity, right? You can you can articulate what a best practice privacy governance framework looks like, but a lot less so at this stage for AI, right? That's right. But I mean, but I think you can already get an appreciation of a different conversation just by framing it in terms of governance. You know, when you went through that list there about policies and standards and monitoring and assurances and consequences. You're talking a lot less about the conversation we often hear in the press about how AI should be governed, which is a sense of like, look at product on the shelf. Is it good? Is it bad? Make some sort of assessment about it. Whereas this is now a much deeper and more complex conversation when you put it in the corporate context about how am I going to use it? Who's using it? What are the rules that govern the context in which it's used, uh, if people step out of the bounds of using it in a particular way, are there consequences? Can I actually see what it's doing so I can monitor that it complies with what I want it to? Um, much more sort of deeper usage-based conversation. One we, I think one we don't hear. I think the parallels to sort of privacy governance and cyber governance are very interesting and useful as well. I mean, as you said, like both these domains are pretty well governed and privacy in particular tends to be anchored back to these laws that we need to comply with and we build sort of policies around what we know the company has to comply with whether it's the australian privacy act or gdpr but for me i feel like there's a really strong parallel on the cyber front with ai just because of the fact that at least until recently we didn't necessarily have as many laws in that cyber terrain there was a lot of kind of best practice on how you mitigate threats and then you sort of you know had sort of standards like nist uh, the you know National Institute of Standards and Technology from the US that sort of said here's a framework for managing cybersecurity called the Cybersecurity Framework, and then companies went off and built policies and standards against that and built expectations and then governed that. And I feel like it feels like that's maybe where we are with AI today, where we're still talking about the laws; they're not quite there yet, but we we have some emerging best practice and we're trying to build a bit of a, a consensus around how to govern that. 
Um, but maybe hopefully we get to that privacy type framework where we have a law, we have some very clear directives that organizations can kind of build their governance frameworks against. I wonder what you think about that comparison. Yeah, I, th- I think that's true to an extent. Um, I think I'd challenge that there aren't really laws around the AI stuff yet. I think like there's not dedicated laws and we're still thinking through that. But there are a whole lot of laws that if you don't do AI well, you're absolutely breaking discrimination laws, for example. You know, if you deploy a system that systematically disadvantages a particular population based on a protected characteristic, then like you're absolutely breaking the law. And I think a lot of people are not quite realizing that, that there are laws that apply to AI. You know, there's this sense that it's a bit of a untrodden field and we need to really kind of challenge that because there is that legal driver today for organizations to get a handle on their AI deployments and put some of those kind of governance systems in place to monitor and control that. Because, you know, yeah, if you throw AI into your recruitment process, there are absolutely laws that you're probably breaking. Yeah. And I mean, I guess in that sense, it also speaks to the fact that the AI governance challenge doesn't have to be like a blank piece of paper. Like it definitely builds on existing governance processes. So, you know, to the extent that there's some governance to do around discrimination, you should have frameworks in place to help you do that as an organization around privacy and the use of data by AI systems and around the security and resilience of AI systems that those should be covered respectively by privacy and security governance framework. So um, that's one part of the UTS report, which you know, I was kind of wondering about where it speaks to the fact that organizations don't quite have an adequate AI framework. And I think there are definitely gaps, but as you say, like there's an element of this, which is like the AI governance is going to be composed at least in some part of the approaches organizations already have to governing other areas of risk. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's a really interesting question, right? Like, because if we get more specific than just AI, there's a set of ways that these things can go wrong, which a lot of organizations already have policies and processes for managing. Like that discrimination risk in deploying an AI in a recruitment process, for example, You would expect a mature organization to have some lawyer looking at changes to their recruitment process to make sure that they're not breaking existing laws, right? And so you don't, you maybe don't need a dedicated AI team to, um, to vet that. Although, you know, then query how equipped your standard lawyer is to assess the bias in the algorithm, but, but never mind that. I do think it's like quite an interesting question where those overlaps Ah, you know, like we pretty regularly come across AI questions in privacy because AI systems tend to be extremely data driven, right? So there's, they're built on these huge corpuses of data. And so there's naturally kind of potential privacy risks there. You know, think Clearview AI. We've talked about a lot about Clearview AI and their facial recognition. And there's, they're largely privacy risks because they're either coming from the use of the data that generated the algorithm or the deployment of the data for a surveillance purpose. But there are other characteristics of AI systems that don't fit well with privacy or with other traditional governance mechanisms, things like the fact that they're quite dynamic, they can change over time. You know, you can have a, an algorithm that's 
trained on a data set and that data set grows and so the outputs evolve over time and maybe it shifts maybe it can do unexpected things or come up with new emergent capabilities and that's for example something that is a real new concern with a lot of ai governance because you need to monitor your system how is its behavior going to change over time how can we assure that it's aligned to our objectives over time I mean, to me, it raises two needs. One is to touch back on our conversation from last week, like a greater sense of sort of literacy around how these systems work amongst, you know, leadership within organizations. If they're going to build these governance systems and they're going to rely to some extent on existing governance frameworks, which is fine, they at least need a deeper understanding of these technologies, how they work and where those checkpoints and risks might be. And the other question it raises is, do we need more tooling and technology to actually help break apart these systems to be able to have the visibility and understand and ask the questions that we need to ask? You know, like there is this dominant view, I guess, or sense that there's a, there's a little bit black box and we can't really get a sense of how the algorithm is trained and how the data flows. And, you know, being able to sort of find ways to do that, I think, is going to be necessary, at least at some level. Yeah, it's funny. It's kind of an analogous situation at the company level, as we've talked about at the like regulatory level. You know, there's these discussions about whether or not you have an AI-specific law or you have you rely on discrimination law or employment law to control the particular harms. And like there's kind of a similar thing at the organization level. You know, do you rely on the lawyer that's looking at the recruitment process to see if it's discriminatory to be able to understand the AI? Or do you have an AI specialist who looks at all of the AI but is maybe less across the discrimination laws? So I think it's a challenge and it's something that organizations are very much grappling with at the moment. To go to the solution or what we're seeing right now is basically principles. <laughs> Lots of principles. What's the vibe about this AI stuff? Yeah, exactly right. AI should be good. AI should be happy and <laughs> be transparent and make everyone's lives better. Yeah, I, I, I laughed and I, and I do... I do agree with you that they can be a little bit trite, but then at the same time, if you look at all the, there's so many different sets of principles, they tend to sort of consolidate around a sort of fairly common set that relates to things like safety, transparency, accountability, you know, being robust, uh, privacy. And I think there's value in that. I think there's value that we seem to have generally a sense of what we want these technologies to do some level of consensus and there's a bit of consistency that these are the things that these AI technologies need to deliver as outcomes in order to be ethical and in order to be free from harm and then I think they're very well known now so you know in some in some regard that's an achievement in and of itself yeah no I totally agree I think they're a necessary step in our thinking and the development of this field I suppose I find it amusing because there's just so many of them. You know, everybody and their dog has a set of AI ethics principles. You know, I mean, the last count I saw was 80 or so or more. The Pope. The Pope. The Pope. There's, Rome has got a call out and there's a picture of the Pope. Yep. There's a Vac Vatican City AI principles. Your local telco probably has AI principles. Everybody from like nation states to universities to 
the companies that you'd kind of expect that are actually operating in these fields. Everybody has a set of AI principles. There's a great study I came across that we'll link in the show notes that compares like 21 of the more major ones from think tanks and universities and big companies. And they do exactly what you were describing, right? They're kind of pointing out where the areas of consensus are, right? Like everyone's on board with transparency and basically everyone's on board with do no harm and various other things. So, you know, valuable as a way of setting our direction. And I think that's an important exercise. Um The point I wanted to make is that they're not a solution, right? And calling back to our governance discussion, like agreeing on the objective is like step one, right? And then there's a whole conversation about, okay, in practice, what are the incentives? Who's going to monitor it? How can we see it when it goes wrong? What are we going to do? How do we make decisions? Uh, Which is not dealt with by principles, um, there's another great academic paper from an Australian guy, I think, or he's at the University of Queensland, Luke Munn, called The Uselessness of AI Ethics, um, where he, he has three kind of gripes with principles and they're, they're kind of major ones. One is that they're meaningless. You know, no one can agree. You know, they sound nice, but like when it comes down to it, what does fair mean, right? What does transparent mean? What actually do I have to do? And so they're contestable. We can argue about what they mean. They're difficult to apply. Um, they're isolated. And what he means by that is that they're situated within a system that largely ignores ethics. You know, companies applying ethical principles are, you know, their, their primary duty is making profit for their shareholders or meeting their shareholders' needs. Unless the shareholders are pushing a particular ethical outcome, that's not their primary responsibility motivation within our capitalist system. So it's kind of weird to be insisting on principles when the the system's set up to incentivize different behavior. And they're toothless. There's no consequences, right, for either the corporations, for kind of skirting around the principles, or for the individual staff at the time. And it's a bit unfair. It's a bit of a straw man, right? Like, it's not a problem with principles themselves, you know, principles are good to have, but we need all this other governance structure around them in order to actually make them meaningful, right? Principles on their own just do nothing. Yeah, they're, they're very much a, a starting point. I mean, I love that list that you read out from from Luke Munn about, you know, meaningless, isolated and toothless. Um, it's like he's got his own principles about the principles, which is great. Yeah, 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 three principles. About but, but also it kind of ties into this sort of, sentiment around ethics washing as well as that you know you've got these set of lovely words at the end of the day kind of transparency and do no harm and these are the kind of principles but they don't have any actual real stature within an organization that's kind of commercially driven they're toothless they're meaningless and so forth and so you get this critique that organizations can put them on their website and it's really just ethics washing they're kind of giving themselves a nice veneer but what's actually happening on the ground and to your point um you know we did a research project at 11m uh, last year looking at data ethics and ai ethics and how organizations were grappling with it and interviewed a lot of organizations in australia public and private sector and got a very similar sentiment to what you just said about how particularly data engineers and and the you know the teams that were building the algorithms, how they felt about the principles. I mean, they were they were all ethically minded and they all understood what the words meant, but it was meaningless in terms of how do I translate that do no harm 
into this context of, you know, I'm writing this algorithm. Um, where does the transparency come through? I mean, how do you want me to actually do this? And so we start to see in this UTS report as well, um, this sense of immaturity around governance of AI that, as you said, there's this conclusion that the report makes around the fact that the principles exist, but they're not really that effective. They kind of create a set of expectations, but they don't bring the rest of the picture. They, they're just the starting point. They orient you towards what you want to do, but they don't explain how and they don't create a system for achieving that. And so there's, you know, to read a quote from the UTS report, few Australian organizations have implemented systematic and structured forms of governance around AI systems. I think it was out of 80 corporate leaders that they'd asked about this, four indicated that they had implemented a structured governance system directed towards AI. Yeah, wow. What's that, 5%? Yeah, wow, yeah. Um, I think it's something that has been seen in other industries in kind of, you know, medical research and, and biomedicine where principles exist, but then you've got these sort of technical teams that don't have a clear pathway to implementing the principles. And so this is why, as boring as governance sounds, why we sort of had that conversation at the start about you really need a whole system. You need to go beyond the principles to start to articulate what are the kind of firm policies and standards and expectations that sit beneath each of these principles. I mean, if you have a principle like privacy or a principle like transparency, what's that next layer? What's that kind of checklist or assessment look like that helps you assess whether you're achieving that? And not just that, but like, how are we going to monitor that in an ongoing basis? Do we have a metric? Are we reporting against that? Is it in our annual report? Are we briefing the board on how fair or unfair? Are people going to be backed up if they decide that they're not going to do this thing that will make us tremendous amounts of money, but is a bit unfair? How do you balance those things off against each other. What do you do when things go wrong? I think the Luke Munn principle around isolated, the, the existence of principles within an industrial system, within that kind of commercial context that renders them meaningless. To me, I think that gets us to, I think, the final part of the conversation, which is that's really potentially a commentary about self-governance overall from a corporate perspective, which is that, you know, what is the actual driver for organizations to effectively govern AI against all these risks? If they're operating within this commercial context, particularly this commercial context where organizations are being told you're going to be left behind unless you turn on every AI solution that is offered to you, there's a real kind of driver to do it and to do it fast in that context, self-governance feels like it's always going to be undermined. You know, it feels like there needs to be a backstop, which in most other contexts is some sort of legal framework. Yeah, foreshadowing next week, right? I think all of those Lukeman principles are kind of things that we need to address with regulation or with further what exactly do we mean by these principles? Give them more content. But like mainly those other two, the toothlessness and the isolation, the way that you translate these principles into corporate action is by having penalties or incentives or practical consequences. Um, one thing that I really liked that the UTS report points out is this report from SafeWork Australia on what the most effective interventions in the work health and safety field 
have been. And they really just, I mean, unsurprisingly, they point to, you know, evidence that regulation, inspections, prosecutions, guidance material to clarify obligations, campaigns and enforceable undertakings are the most important incentives in that context to drive behavior, right? It's not just high level principles. You need to make sure people are aware of them, sure, and clarify them. But then you need to like have rules and enforce them. That's what we're observing. That's what's being played out, right? That we're settling on some principles and um, we've got the direction, but organizations aren't going to do it themselves absent actual rules. They're not going to do it themselves. And also there is some sense of companies wanting clarity on what to do as well. Like if you look at the cybersecurity context, which we sort of paralleled before, we were seeing right now in the submissions around this new cybersecurity strategy, there's a, a discussion about do we need a dedicated cybersecurity act? And the reason for that call is because, you know, organizations are saying to uh, the government, look, we know we're supposed to do something. It's clear, like we get that now. With You know, there, there needs to be something, some governance within our organizations around cyber risk, but we're not really exactly sure what that should look like. And we would love some sort of legal and regulatory framework. Now, there's arguments that people will make to say, well, that's not going to fully answer the question for you. But I think it at least speaks to the sentiment that, thinking about the commercial imperative and saying at the end of the day, you're going to have to have a law and have some compliance penalty that you know motivates organizations to put in an AI governance framework. But then the other part of it is some businesses are saying, look, it would be just helpful for us to know exactly what to do. You see similar arguments in the Privacy Act reform where organizations who are doing the right thing, who take privacy and consumer welfare and doing the right thing very importantly, calling for higher standards because they're getting undercut by competitors who don't have such qualms and who aren't facing penalties for bad behavior, you know, like, so, you know, I think there's probably an element of that here too, but um, that's all a question for next week. Next week. Yeah. Good uh, setup for a detailed chat next week about government regulatory approaches to AI. Looking forward to it. Look at us with our mini series that's following a logical process and wow. you know foreshadowing and all of that. Next, yeah. next stop Netflix, Jordan. Yeah, right we'll on. Be, we'll be there. Yeah, next up syndication. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Until then. Yeah. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> See you. Bye.